National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champs. From WHYY and BillyPenn.com, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolnes from The Good Fight. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, we're going to recap this Phil series against the Padres, a much-needed series victory in San Diego, especially with what the Chicago Cubs are doing right behind them for that top spot in the wild card. And we're going to talk to Cubs beat writer and longtime friend of the podcast, former Phillies beat writer Megan Montemiro, who now writes for the Chicago Tribune, covers the Cubs there. And we'll get a little inside the uh, eye on the enemy uh, of the Chicago Cubs and see what they've been up to. But we're going to talk about what happened in San Diego. We'll talk some Zach Wheeler, Kyle Schwarber. We'll kind of just breeze on past the middle game of the series because that was pretty ugly. But uh, we'll talk about all three games. We'll open up the hit and season mailbag a little bit, too. Got some good questions this week. Uh, so all that coming up here on this edition of hit and season. But let's jump right into this series against the Padres. And look, folks, anytime you get a series win, especially against a team that's decent and you do it on the road you finish up a six game road trip going 500 generally speaking unless you're playing a couple of dreg teams it's a success and the phillies were not playing dreg teams over the course of these last six games the milwaukee brewers are have the same record as the phillies do and they're on top in the national league central that's a legitimately good team in the national league they should have won two out of three uh, were it not for an error by alec bohm and so uh, you lose that series it was a tough series to lose and then you come into san diego against a padres team that is one of the more mystifyingly disappointing teams in recent baseball memory. Team that the Phillies beat in the National League Championship Series this year, but a team a lot of folks had going to the World Series, and they've just, they have stumbled hard this season. They've never really tanked or bottomed out, but they've just been like five, six, seven games under 500 the entire season. And we got a little glimpse of why here this week in San Diego as the Phillies took two out of three. Uh, just, haven't been able to put it all together. A really, a really weird team in San Diego. And so uh, the game on Wednesday, really, really a much needed victory. Given the fact that the Chicago Cubs were hosting the Giants, they had won the first two games of their series. And then before the Phillies started play, built up a big lead over the Giants in the series finale there. So you knew the Cubs were going to sweep the Giants. And had the Phillies lost on Wednesday and the Cubs having won on Wednesday, the Phillies would have come back to Citizens Bank Park with at best a one game lead for the top wildcard spot and at worst a tie because the Phillies have the day off on Thursday and the Cubs begin a four game series in Arizona. I mean, against the Diamondbacks uh, at home at Wrigley Field. So the Cubs beat the Diamondbacks on Thursday. They could have come into Citizens Bank Park with the same record as the Phillies. And that's just not something we all wanted. Now, the Phillies have a tiebreaker over the Chicago Cubs. So the, the Cubs would need to have a better record than the Phillies in order to overtake them in the wild card. But still, getting that win on Wednesday behind Zach Wheeler, who told Rob Thompson that he wanted to stay on regular rest. He didn't want extra days. He didn't if they're going to run a six-man rotation, that's fine, but he wants to he wants to pitch every fifth day and he backed that up with a huge performance against the Padres. Really gave the team a lift when they needed it. Six shutout innings. He could have gone longer. But Rob Thompson noted he wants to pitch every fifth day. Well, then they're going to they're gonna conserve his bullets whenever they can. Six shutout innings. He gave up just one hit in six innings with seven strikeouts and two walks. He was flashing the dominant stuff again. The fastball is in the upper 90s. The breaking stuff is just ridiculous. Hitters are not able to keep up with his stuff. This is Cy Young Zach Wheeler. This is ace Zach Wheeler. What a, what a free agent signing he has been. Couldn't, I mean... Above and beyond our wildest expectations, Zach Wheeler. And he did it again on Wednesday in a game that started off in kind of a frustrating fashion. He, now, the Phillies got that leadoff home run from Kyle Schwarber, but a lot of missed opportunities in the first three innings of that game. But Kyle Schwarber kept the Padres off the board until the offense was able to start putting some things together. And Wheeler has been on a roll in his last three starts, 19 innings in those last three starts. He's given up just nine hits, four runs, 27 strikeouts against just two walks in those 19 innings. That's good for a 1.89 ERA and a 0.58 whip. He feels much better going on normal rest than getting that extra day, and we saw that on Wednesday. Since the All-Star game, he has a 2.60 ERA 
in 10 starts. And now his ERA is down to 3.49 on the season, making a late run at the Cy Young conversation. And if any of those pitchers who are maybe ahead of him right now in everyone's minds, if they have a stumble here and there, and, and Zach Wheeler continues to pitch like this, he might just jump right up and grab that thing, especially if he really leads this starting staff in helping get the Phillies the top wildcard spot. I think it's a foregone conclusion. The Phillies are not going to have a monumental September collapse. They're not going to go seven games under 500 from this point out, eight games under 500, and miss the playoffs entirely. That's what would need to happen at this point. The Phillies just continue, no matter no matter how, how they play, they just continue to chug along with this four-and-a-half game lead, five, five-and-a-half game lead in the National League wildcard because the other teams below the Cubs continue to just tread water for the most part in the wild card standings entering play on Thursday. The Phillies are five games up for a wild card spot. The Cubs are three and a half up on Miami right now. The Marlins who the Phillies will face this weekend in Philadelphia hold that last wild card spot, but by just a half a game over the diamondbacks and Cincinnati reds, the San Francisco giants since leaving Philadelphia have fallen off a cliff. They're now two and a half games out of the wild card spot after getting swept by Chicago. So uh, it looks like, the lack of talent on that team is finally starting to surface. And maybe you're looking at another September Gabe Kapler team collapse. Remember, that's what we saw in 2018 in Gabe Kapler's first season here. That awful September collapse that uh, that doomed that season uh, could be happening again in San Francisco. Uh, but right now, Zach Wheeler leading this starting staff and doing a tremendous job doing it, making a late run here for Cy Young consideration. Kyle Schwarber, as I mentioned, hit another leadoff home run in this one. The Phillies had lost the last two games he did that. Remember the first two games in Milwaukee, leading off the game with a home run, but then the Phillies offense not able to support that and able to uh, get them over the hump in those first two games. Um, but that was his 10th leadoff home run of the year, and that sets a new Phillies record, previously held by Jimmy Rollins in 2007. And if you'd have told me that Kyle Schwarber, when the Phillies signed him to a free agent deal, that he would end up setting the Phillies single season record for leadoff home runs. I, I don't I don't think I would have made that particular wager. But here he is with 10 leadoff home runs this season alone. He now has 14 home runs since August 6th. That is the most in baseball during that stretch. He has 19 home runs since the All-Star break, also the most in baseball. He has a 976 OPS here in the second half. 54 walks in 49 games. His plate discipline right now is outstanding. And he has 41 home runs on the season. 40 singles, by the way. <laughs> it's just that his, this is going to go down as one of the weirdest seasons we've ever seen in baseball. He's going to, he's going to hit under 200 this year. He's going to have at least 41 home runs. He's probably going to get to about 45 home runs. He's probably going to clear 100 RBIs out of the leadoff spot. He's going to he's set the Phillies record for leadoff home runs in a season. And he's going to finish with an OPS well over 800 despite hitting below 200. Just a, and he's probably going to lead the league in strikeouts. Like it just just a bizarre weird wacky season from Kyle Schwarber. Wins above replacement, hates Kyle Schwarber. Because he can't run and he can't field. We all know that. But there's no way he's a replacement level player in this league. And that's one of the what's one of the drawbacks of war. It's not perfect. And anybody who's only looking at wins above replacement to judge a player's value, we're seeing why. We're seeing Kyle Schwarber's a reason you can't do that. Now, is he one of the most valuable players in the league? I don't think you could say that for sure. You want to get him out of left field. He needs to be the DH, but he gives so much to this team. And a lot of it is an intangible, too. He's a clubhouse leader. He's a spokesman. He just The culture of this club changed when Kyle Schwarber got here, and that's one of the reasons they went out and got him. That was his reputation coming to Philadelphia, and he has been a godsend. He gets frustrating early in seasons. You would like for him to not take the first two months off. <laughs> He's not taking off, but uh, essentially just can't hit the broad side of a barn during the season's first two months. Heaven help us if Kyle Schwarber starts a season hot. Imagine if he starts April and May hitting home runs and then just has his normal season. Guy's going to hit 60 home runs one of these years if that ever happens. Bryce Harper, a huge hit in the fourth inning of Wednesday's game. He broke out of a career-worst 0-for-20 slump. Clean-shaven. I hate the clean-shaven look, Bryce. You got to get the beard back. I know why you did it. Got to change the mojo. Got to change things around. I get it. 
And maybe it worked. I mean, he had the shaved look going for the Eagles, uh, for the the Eagles, for the Phillies' second game uh, on Tuesday. But uh, it didn't really come into play here until Wednesday when he had a two-run double after the Phillies had squandered a bases-loaded, no-out situation in the first. And then they'd squandered another runners-in-scoring position situation in the third. Bryce Harper finally, with runners on first and second and two out, hits a double into the right center field gap, scores both runs, gave the Phillies a 3 to nothing lead, and you could just feel everybody exhale after that. And the way Zach Wheeler was pitching, you just had a feeling that that lead was going to stand up. Thankfully, the Phillies tacked on. JT Realmuto hit a homer in the fifth. The Phillies got another run after that, uh, and they went on to win this game 5-1. to one. A huge win, like I mentioned uh, in order to keep that one-and-a-half game lead over the Cubs for that top wildcard spot. On Tuesday, the Phillies played one of their worst games of the season, an 8 to nothing stinker. Not much to digest in this one, except for the fact that Nick Castellanos hit into three double plays on four pitches in the first uh, six innings of this game. He accounted for six of the team's first 18 outs, hitting in the two-hole in place of Trey Turner, who was out on paternity leave for the games on Tuesday and Wednesday. Turner will be back at Citizens Bank Park on Friday, but it was really a frustrating night watching the Phillies hitters. They just, they couldn't get around on some 94 mile an hour meatballs by this Avila guy right over the middle of the plate. He was wild. He walked six guys, but ended up throwing like 80 some pitches in six innings because the Phillies just kept hitting into one double play after another. Um, I don't know why they couldn't get around on his fastball. It was not doing anything special. Uh, but, uh, You know, it's just one of those nights for the offense. Michael Lorenzen's struggles since the no-hitter continue. He allowed seven runs in six innings, and he has an 8.14 ERA in four starts since the no-no. I don't think the pitch count in that game has messed him up. His velocity is still good. His stuff is still good. He's just leaving too many pitches over the middle of the plate. So, look, he's at an innings point in in his season now where he's never been before. And I think it's time for him, once once the Phillies play this doubleheader against the Braves on September 11th and they go back to a five-man rotation, I think it's pretty clear Michael Lorenzen's going back to the bullpen. He's, he has already soared past last year's innings total. He's at 143 and two-thirds innings right now. He was at 97 and two-thirds innings last season, so already well above that. And he pitched just 29 innings in 2021. His previous high in innings pitched, and it's the only other time in his career he was over 100 innings, was 113.1 in his rookie season of 2015. And Lorenzen is not happy with how he's pitching. He knows he's letting the team down, was very honest about that after the game. And I think after he makes this next start, my guess is he is the guy who's going to go to the bullpen. Although, like we mentioned, they may piggyback Chris Sanchez and Michael Lorenzen uh, every fifth day after that, with Chris Sanchez starting the game against Lefty heavy lineups and maybe Lorenzen getting, you know, the first two or three innings against a, a righty heavy lineup. But that's that's likely what you're going to see with those two guys until the playoffs roll around. And then on Monday, the Phillies held on for a 9-7 to win in a game that should not have been as tense as it was. Had they built up an 8-1 to lead in the third inning, they led 9-4 to after five, and it turned into a nail-biter. The Phillies may have retired Rich Hill. They may have Jeremy Guthrie'd that guy into retirement with a relentless onslaught in the first two innings. He entered the game with an 8.50 ERA for San Diego. He had an Alec Bohm first inning bases clearing double for, for, for three RBIs. He went three for five. Edmundo Sosa hit a mammoth home run. He went two for five. Trey Turner, before leaving for paternity leave, hit a two-run home run. His 22nd home run of the year, he has an outside shot at getting to 30, which is inconceivable inconceivable two for six on the day on Monday and Bryson Stott after struggling big time against the Brewers went four for five in the game on Monday. Uh, Schwarber also hit hit a huge insurance run solo home run, which was his 40th on the year. And of course, we know that uh, Schwarber would become the first player in history to hit 40 or more home runs with a batting average under 200 if this if the if the trend continues uh, this way. Turner extended his hitting streak to 15 games. He'll try to extend that to 16 on Friday. He has hit seven home runs in his last seven games. Seven home runs in his last seven games. The Phillies, before failing to hit a home run in the game on Tuesday, had hit a home run in 17 straight games and multiple home runs in seven straight games. But that streak came to an end on Tuesday. Taiwan Walker did not pitch effectively, yet 
moved to 15 and 5 on the season. Only Cole Hamels in 2007 and Tommy Green in 1993 went 15 and 5 to start a season for the Phillies. Uh, he only went five innings and gave up four runs on five hits and three walks with a 4.15 ERA now on the season. Yet he's 15 and 5. Not good enough. When when you've got an 8 to 1 lead, you got to give you you got to give your team more innings. He went over 100 pitches. Uh, he was not. He just wasn't effective. He wasn't efficient. He couldn't get guys to swing and miss. He couldn't get guys to just roll those grounders like they normally do. And the bullpen barely held on. Man, it is white knuckle time with this group. Andrew Bellotti showed why he was in AAA most of the season. One run on three hits allowed in two thirds of an inning. Gregory Soto continues his heck Jekyll and Hyde routine. Some some appearances he comes out there and he is just dominant. And then you have another outing like he had on Monday. Two runs in two thirds of an innings. Uh, he just loses. He just can't throw strikes in some of these outings. And I know this was the reputation coming from Detroit. I still think it was a good trade. You want him in that in that bullpen, but you really just can't trust him in high leverage situations. Jeff Hoffman is a guy I'm starting to trust in the bullpen a lot right now. Uh, he came in and was very effective on Monday. And then you had Jose Alvarado and Craig Kimbrell in this game. Oh boy, Craig Kimbrell came in in the eighth inning, had runners on second and third with one out, the team clinging to a nine to seven lead, and he somehow got out of it by striking out Manny Machado and then getting. Xander Bogarts to ground out. So the Phillies uh, get into the ninth inning with using Kimbrell in the eighth to face the top of the Padres order and a lot of those right-handed hitters, Tatis, Machado, and Bogarts right there. That's where they wanted Kimbrell. And then Jose Alvarado comes out in the ninth inning, walks the first two hitters. This bullpen has got to stop walking, guys. Stop it, especially when you've got a lead, especially walking the leadoff hitter. I don't care if they get a single. I almost don't care if they get a double, although I, I would think major league pitchers are good enough to not throw fastballs right down the middle of the plate. But I know it's a difficult sport. You can't you can't pinpoint your location every time you want to. But my goodness, the one thing you absolutely cannot do and the one thing they must stop doing lead off walks and Jose Alvarado walked the first two hitters in the ninth inning but then went ground ground out, strikeout, and then finally a wicked strikeout of Ha-Sung Kim with runners on second and third to end the game and preserve a desperately needed 9-7 to win uh, coming off that series loss against Milwaukee. So a very eventful series in San Diego, and the Phillies got the all-important series victory. All right, before we get to Megan Montemuro, let's open up the hit season mailbag. Some good questions here. Uh, the first from at Tyler D. Brown 42 would you rather the Phillies face the Cubs or the Brewers in a wild card series? There is still a fair chance the Cubs overtake the Brewers for the Central. And while the Cubs feel like the hotter, better overall team, the Cubs have Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, and Williams. Uh, for me, this is an easy question. I would rather face the Cubs. Uh, I, and for the very reasons that you just mentioned, Milwaukee's pitching staff, and as much as it is the starters, and the starters are exceedingly good, the bullpen scares me. San Diego's bullpen, I mean, uh, uh, Milwaukee's bullpen scares me a lot. They have so many electric arms. Hobie Milner against Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper and Bryson Stott, that's just not a matchup I want to see a lot in a short series. He he alone can neutralize the lefty hitters in the Phillies lineup. The Cubs, as we're going to hear from, um, I think, from Megan in, in just a minute, we'll talk about the Cubs bullpen, but just looking at their numbers, don't appear to have nearly as good a pitching staff as Milwaukee does. And when you get into a playoff series, bullpens really matter. Uh, starting pitching really matters. And yes, the offense does matter. And I think Milwaukee's offense is inferior to Chicago's, uh, and that is a big deal. Chicago's offense is much better than Milwaukee's. We saw the Phillies' offense in a lot of ways carried them to the World Series, but they also got great starting pitching from their top two, and the bullpen still is an underrated part of that 2022 playoff run. We don't When we're watching highlights of the 2022 playoff run, we don't watch the Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado escapes, right? The the dominance that those guys showed in, in the playoffs. But if you remember back, that was really what propelled the Phillies on in a lot of those early games, like against the Cardinals and uh, in the first uh, couple games against the Braves. So um, I would rather face the Cubs. As hot as they are, the Cubs do not have the playoff experience that the Brewers have. Uh, even though the Brewers didn't make it last year, the Brewers do have more guys on that team who have been to the postseason. I think Craig Council is a a better manager, um, one of the better managers in baseball right now. And I would rather I would rather face the Cubs, especially since, you know, yeah, it could be the Brewers in the wild card. 
it, or it could be the Cubs in the wild card. I, I'm hoping the Phillies will host either team. And I would, I would definitely rather it be the Cubs simply because I think Milwaukee's pitching is real problematic in a short series. At Charles W. Wolf asks, if Skynet and the Terminators get access to the Phillies' facial recognition technology, will Liam Castellanos grow up to lead the human rebellion? Yes. At Jonathan, at jo uh, Jonah Ryan, 17, he asks, is there an explanation for why Aaron Nola seemingly has seen his fly ball percentage increase so dramatically these last three years? I, I did a little digging on Aaron Nola's numbers. And the thing about Aaron Nola is I don't really know why what's happening, why it's happening. And here's the thing. If the Phillies knew what it was, the issues would have been corrected. And I think that's the problem here. Aaron Nola doesn't know why his fly ball percentage necessarily has increased so dramatically. And I don't think he knows why his uh, home run rate has increased so dramatically and his runners in scoring position numbers are up so dramatically. But they're all up dramatically. You heard me read the runners in scoring position numbers to uh, to, to Justin and Liz in the last episode of the podcast, but uh, in 2018 and 2019, he was devastatingly good with runners in scoring position. And a lot of that was because his home run rate was much lower than it is now. He's giving up way more home runs now than over these last couple of seasons. And actually last season he was better. He was stingier with the long ball. But from 20, here are the numbers. From 2016 to 2020, Nola's ground ball rate was 55.2%, 49.8, 50.6, 49.7, 49 49.7. So at least around 50 to 50 to 55% ground ball rate in each of his first five seasons. He was a ground ball machine. The last three years, 2021, 40.5%. Last season, 43.5%. And this season, 40.5%. It's down 10 percentage points. It was in now, here, now, here's a connection. And I don't know if one thing has anything to do with the other. And I think if it did, I don't know why the Phillies wouldn't have adjusted this. But it was in 2021 that he introduced his cutter. He now throws it 8% of the time, which is up from 6.5% last year and 1.6% in 2021. So in 2021, he's still kind of feeling the pitch out. Last year, he started using it more regularly, and this year, he's throwing it 8% of the time. When you look at his stuff, the velocity on all of his pitches is exactly the same now as it was at the start of his career. His average fastball velocity is the same right now as it has ever been. But he's also throwing his changeup just 11.7% of the time, which is a career low. But you also can see as you watch him pitch, I was looking at some highlights of his 2018 season. There were very few games where he was leaving balls out over the middle of the plate. So many of his starts, balls are, on the, balls are at the bottom of the zone. If they're over the middle of the plate, they're at the bottom of the zone in a place where no one could ever hit anything out. And then he's hitting the corners. He's down and away. He's inside. He's outside edge. And when he does bring the ball up, it's it's at the very top of the strike zone to get swing and miss. And I don't know if the cutter is factoring into that at all. Um, I was a big believer that the pitch timer was messing him up this year from the stretch. I'm not as convinced of that, given how his numbers with runners in scoring position have trended this way. The long and short of it is, I don't know if the cutter is part of the reason why his ground ball rate is lower and his, his fly ball rate is higher. I don't know if that's why his numbers with runners in scoring position has increased. And if it's, I mean, if, if it's the home runs or what, I, I can't, I, I can't really explain it. And the issue I think that's most problematic is the Phillies at least have not publicly explained it. And I don't think they figured it out because the same stuff keeps happening with Aaron Ola. It's why it's he it's why he's an enigma and why we still just can't really get a handle on him. At Scobloosh asks, what kind of impact can we expect Reese Hoskins to have if and when he's back next season with a team that's already homering at a high rate? What is their ceiling by adding a power bat of Hoskins caliber? Reese Hoskins' future is such an interesting one. Matt Gelb had an interesting story in The Athletic about him this week, about his about him trying to return in time for a World Series appearance. But even if he comes back, it's not going to be play first base every game. Like, he's back as a bench guy. Because you need to have Bryce Harper at first base, and you need to have Kyle Schwarber 
at the DH. But if you don't have, like, if you have Hoskins, I mean, you could, I guess you could put Hoskins at first base during, during a world series run, but do, do you just, I think he's more just kind of like a, your right-handed bat guy. Maybe he's a DH and, and you, you just live with Schwarber in left field and Harper at first base at first base. But I, as far as next season goes, I, I really don't know. I think, I think he, if he's back, do you put Bryce Harper out in right field next year? I think Bryce Harper wants to return to the outfield. But then what do you do with Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber? Does Nick Castellanos move to left field full-time? And Kyle Schwarber become the DH full-time? Does can, can Castellanos play left field? He's gotten pretty good at right field. Could Harper play left field? There's If you bring Hoskins back... It makes it makes decisions regarding Schwarber and Harper and Castellanos more difficult. So I think they've got to see what what's going to go on with with those three guys before you make the decision on Harper well, on Hoskins. And I think that the Phillies would value Hoskins more than another team would. I think that Hoskins might come back on a one year deal, kind of like a, a Cody Bellinger type deal. But I don't. Th- I, I just. When Andrew McCutcheon tore his ACL, his power disappeared for a year. And I don't know if the same thing would happen to Reese Hoskins. Now, when Schwarber hurt his ACL, Schwarber's power did not disappear for a year. He bounced back and was very effective after that. But I don't really know where Harper's going to end up. My gut tells me he ends up someplace else. But I don't know where that is and in what capacity. So uh, we're just going to have to kind of wait and see on Hoskins, but it's a very interesting, interesting question. But I got to say the Reese Hoskins situation is not on my mind right now. I'm more focused on this team getting this wild card spot and getting back through the playoffs. And if they, and if Hoskins can come back as like a bench bat for the World Series, then then that's great. M.M. Spidey 84 asks, should the Phillies commit to Suarez in the bullpen now rather than wait until the playoffs? And why wait? If I'm putting somebody in the bullpen, I don't think it's Ranger Suarez. I'm using Chris Sanchez, and I'm, I'm using Michael Lorenzen in the bullpen. I think once Ranger Suarez, if he can stay healthy now during the final month of the season, I think he's your best option as your number three starter, as your game three starter. I want a left-hander in game three, and I'd ra- I think Ranger Suarez is going to get the nod over somebody like Christopher Sanchez. I think Suarez is effective as a starter. Um, I, I think that he's got the best chance of giving a top-notch performance in Game 3 of a playoff series because we saw it last year. It's nice to know you can use him out of the bullpen if you need to, but I don't think you're committing to Suarez in the bullpen. I think you're committing Lorenzen to the bullpen for the rest of the regular season, given the innings that we talked about and the effectiveness. And I think in the playoffs, Christopher Sanchez and Michael Lorenzen are your bullpen guys. I think they move to the pen and Ranger Suarez stays in the rotation. He was very good Outside of game one of the National League Division Series against the Braves, when he was obviously overhyped and overamped, he was just as cool as a cucumber in starts uh, against the Padres and in the World Series. The World Series, game three against the Astros, he was outstanding. So I'm keeping him in the rotation. I'm not moving him to the bullpen at all. At Mike Straka 2 asks, how many more runs slash wins would we have if Schwarber hits second behind anyone with a reasonable on-base percentage? It's a fair question. It's one of those butterfly effect things. Would Schwarber be hitting as many home runs in the two-hole? It's possible he would be, but Schwarber is very comfortable in the leadoff spot. Maybe he wouldn't hit as many home runs in the number two spot. If you had Trey Turner hitting at the top of the lineup now with Schwarber in the two hole, would he be getting a whole lot more RBIs? I don't know that he would be because the bottom of the Phillies lineup has been so good. I think Schwarber is getting just as many RBI opportunities in the leadoff spot as he would in the number two spot because you're getting you're, you're getting JT Real, JT Real Muto is hitting like seventh now. So you're getting Real Muto, you're getting Brandon Marsh, you know, you're getting the occasional contribution from Pache or Rojas or Jake Cave in the nine spot, Edmundo Sosa. And Schwarber's coming up with runners on base a lot of times. He's going to finish with 100 RBIs. So I, I don't really know that if you moved him to the number two spot, if there would be so many more RBI opportunities for the guy. It could be. And I don't, I mean, if there was a better option, a more prototypical high, you know, high on base percentage leadoff guy, I would do that. Like if you had a 340, 350 guy with speed, and that really should be a Trey Turner, 
that's probably a better alternative. But the way the offense is going, this just works. It's weird. It's unconventional. But it works. And I don't I don't think we should spend a whole lot of time wrapping ourselves around the axle trying to figure out Schwarber's spot. Just let him hit leadoff. Now, when he's in one of his maniacal death spirals, maybe that's a good time to move him down in the lineup like they did. They tried uh, Bryson Stott in leadoff spot for a little bit this year because it was just not working with Schwarber and Turner hitting 1-2 and struggling so badly. But when they're hitting well, Schwarber in the one spot, Turner in the two spot, it seems to work. And so we'll just, I think we'll just run with that. And at Ethan McIntyre 12, last question. If the Phillies were to have playoff struggles, what is the most likely issue? Hitting, starting pitching, bullpen, defense, injury, or something else? Well, I think defense is always going to be probably the biggest issue, but I don't think that's going to lead to playoff struggles. I think if the Phillies are going to have playoff struggles, I think it's going to be the starting rotation. I think it's going to be Aaron Ola not performing well in game two of a playoff series. I think it's real close between the rotation and the bullpen. Because the Philly starters can be effective for you, and then the bullpen can come in, like we saw with you know some of these guys of late, walking guys and getting in trouble and giving up crushing late leads, which will just kill you in the playoffs. Last year, the bullpen was such a huge part of their ability to close out games. When the Phillies got a lead late, you they didn't blow any late leads in the playoffs last year. All the games that they lost, they just lost them. They didn't blow any late leads. I mean, I don't think you can call Jose Alvarado's a uh, home run that he gave up to Jordan Alvarez in the bottom of the sixth inning, a blown lead. It was one nothing. So they did not blow any late leads. There were no big blown saves last season. I mean, Sir Anthony Dominguez in game five, right before the Bryce Harper home run. But it was there was a, a, a monsoon rolling through Philadelphia, and he was trying to pitch a cue ball. And the ball got away from him a bunch of times. Just a, a weird set of circumstances. So, but But if you don't get good starting pitching, if Aaron Nola is not giving you solid performances as your game two starter, if Ranger Suarez doesn't get into a groove, if Taiwan Walker doesn't, doesn't stop walking guys and, and can't find a rhythm, that's going to end a playoff run really quickly. Because I think the Phillies will hit. I think they'll get enough offense to do well. And I think the bullpen, I think the bullpen will hold up. They've got enough arms out there that they can mix and match and ride the hot hand, I think. But the starters have been very uneven as of late, especially Nola, especially Walker, and with Ranger Suarez having been on the injured list the last couple weeks, he's been a little bit up and down. And that's my big concern right now is getting those three guys into a groove as we get ready for the playoffs. That's going to be the big thing for this baseball team. Some great questions there on the mailbag, and we'll do that again uh, in another few weeks and, and get some more questions from the folks here on the Twitter. Well, I was trying to think about who I wanted to talk to on the podcast this week, and the Chicago Cubs, with how well they've been playing lately, and these two teams really now feels like they're in a battle for that top wildcard spot, although the Cubs are just as close to the Brewers in the NL Central as they are the Phillies here in the wildcard. But both these teams appear to be on a collision course towards the postseason and potentially even playing each other in the first round. And so I thought, given how the Cubs are playing, how red hot they are, this would be a good time to get some intel on the Cubbies. And joining me is an old friend of the podcast we haven't talked to her in a long while but she was a former beat reporter with the athletic for the fills and now she covers the chicago cubs in the windy city for the chicago tribune the great megan montemuro we miss her terribly here in philadelphia uh megan thanks for coming back on hitting season it's wonderful to talk to you how are you i'm good it's fun coming back on and I know we were just talking a second ago that when you went from philadelphia to go cover the cubs last year was your first year back, back there if i'm remembering correctly uh, 21. 21. Okay, so two years yeah. ago. The the Phillies were kind of on the cusp of, of maybe becoming good, and then you went to go cover the Cubs, <laughs> and the Cubs were struggling and rebuilding, and you just yep. went through that in Philadelphia. So <laughs> I imagine it's gratifying right now to be covering this baseball team as they're – it seems surprising everybody with how well they're playing so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always fun to cover a team when they go through the rebuild process and you start to see them come out – on the other end of it, obviously, I wasn't there for the full process in Philly, but mm -hmm. obviously through 2020, like you could see that they were starting to have those pieces. Um, and for the Cubs, I mean, it really started at the 2021 trade deadline when they traded Rizzo, Chris Bryant, right. and Javier Baez, um, <clears throat> really infused some talent. And then really this past offseason, 
bringing in Dansby Swanson, Cody Bellinger, Jameson Tyone, like it, it clearly signaled like, hey, we're taking this next step. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a little bit of time to get going. They had a strong April or at least early April and then really kind of hit a rough spot at May into early June. And then but since then, they've really been on a roll. Yeah, well, since the All-Star break, they are 34-17, and 17, which I believe is tied for the most wins in baseball, or that was actually coming into today. that There are 33 wins were tied for the most wins in baseball, so I imagine that is, uh, they're at least still tied, if not have taken the lead there in terms of record after the All-Star break, and they are, like I said, trying to hunt down the Phillies for that top wildcard spot and try and catch the Brewers for the National League Central. They're in a great position in that they really have two avenues to the postseason right now, but what is, what is happening there uh, with, with these Cubs? Why They were looking like they could be trade deadline sellers and now they have just absolutely caught fire i think i saw that they've lost maybe like one series in the last month and a half or something like that yeah i think since like early july they've only lost one series yeah i mean i think it's been a combination of things you know even when things were going real bad in may early june when they were 10 games under 500 you know, the amount of talent they have in that clubhouse, you know, the consistent messaging was like, we know we're better than our record is. Um, you know, they were pretty unlucky offensively, you know, some key pieces in the rotation were pitching terribly. Um, and so like everything was basically going wrong at the same time. Um, but, you know, the, the rotation has really gotten locked in the guys that they expected to step up. I mean, Cody Bellinger, part of, part of the issue was he was hurt for a little bit on a freak play um, in Houston um, right around the time where uh, they played in Philly. So they were without him for about three weeks, almost a month. Mm. Um, Really since he's been back in the lineup, I mean, the dynamic of that lineup just changes so much um, as, as their number four hitter. Um, so between getting him back, you have more consistency from top to bottom. I mean, they've been on this run, and that's with Dansby Swanson hitting like under 200 the past two months. Wow. Uh, so different guys have been stepping up over this stretch. And then on the starting pitching side, I mean, they have a Cy Young contender in Justin Steele. They've had two rookies come up, Javier Assad, who um, had been in the bullpen earlier this year and, and made some spot starts for them last year. He's been electric in the bullpen or uh, in the rotation. Jordan Wicks made his third start of the season since being called up. Um, He's won all three of his games. And so they're doing this with no Marcus Stroman right now. And when they have him, you know, he wasn't pitching well um, because of this injury he had been dealing with previously. Jameson Tyone has been really up and down. Kyle Hendricks has kind of been that, you know, steady veteran kind of guy. Um, so really it's been a, a collection of things that really hasn't been one thing that's gotten to them to this point. I think that really kind of epitomizes what makes this team good. How close were the Cubs to selling at the trade deadline, Megan? Oh, they were really close. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, there were a couple teams, like every, every city we were in, like there were scouts following them and talking to Jed Hoyer, um, their team president, after the trade deadline passed, I mean, he really did not make the call until probably maybe like two days, 48 hours before the trade deadline to really go into buyer mode mm-hmm. um, and, and and not really sell any pieces, especially Cody Bellinger. Um, so, yeah, they, they basically went on just like this crazy run um, leading up to the trade deadline. I mean, they had a walk off home run robbery in St. Louis. They had a crazy comeback win against the White Sox on the south side. Um, so like they they just basically forced the front office to to buy into them. I think it's interesting. The Angels and the Cubs both did the exact same thing at the trade deadline. The Angels were surging at the trade deadline, and they looked like they were going to be sellers. And they said, you know what? No, we're going to flip the script. We're going to buy. And that obviously turned out disastrously. The Cubs, on the other hand, it all worked beautifully for them, their decision to end up being buyers. And the team has rewarded that faith with the way they're playing over these last few weeks. I, I think you're, the ace of the staff is obviously Justin Steele. And he, he's one of those guys that's completely flown under the radar, especially for me. And I, I 
follow the game pretty closely. And I got to tell you, I just I was looking at Justin Steele's numbers and seeing where he compares to the rest of the National League Cy Young contenders. I mean, he's got to be right in that mix, right? Third in wins above replacement. He has a 2.55 ERA in 26 starts. He's been one of the best left-handed starters in baseball this year. I think he's got a league best ERA plus and he doesn't give up any home runs. Where did he come from? <laughs> um, they actually drafted him out of high school um, and he had Tommy John surgery like early in his pro career. Um, I mean, it's really a developmental success and a credit to Steele for him getting to this point. Obviously, that's a lot of years of hard work. Um, I believe he was a 2015 draft pick, I want to say, um, mm. right or right around there. He's been in the organization for a while. Um, that's the same year yeah. as Aaron Nola, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. So, so they drafted him out of a high school in Mississippi um, when they initially brought him into the league uh, in 21. They used him as like a starter slash reliever hybrid with the goal was always to get him back into a starting role. So that's what they did last year. Um, and really, I mean, I think what's most impressive with him, if you just like look up at his pitch mix, it, it looks like he just throws fastball slider and you're like, how does he have this much, much success basically just throwing two pitches, but it's the way he's able to manipulate those two pitches and his understanding of how they work for him, which is really <laughs> the root of his success. I mean, his fastball, it has natural cut to it. Um, but he can get some ride on it when he wants to, uh, with his slider, he can, um, cut it. So it's a little more sharper. He can make it look more like a curveball. I mean, it, it technically is only two pitches, but the way he's able to move them and, you know, get the movement that he wants on a particular pitch in a certain moment is, is really impressive. Yeah, and I imagine he's at 152 innings right now. He was at mm -hmm. 100, 119 last year. Is there any concern over his his innings? Are there, are there is there any talk about maybe giving him a little extra time between starts? Not really. I mean, he's honestly looked better the the like the the deeper he's pitched into games, and even as the season's gone on. I mean, last year they they made a concerted effort um, to base out some of his starts in the in the second half of the year to make sure he was pitching into September to set him up for this season um and yeah I mean it's kind of one of those things like we, we've talked to you know their pitching coach Tommy Hadovy who whose motto is like you don't know a, a guy can do it until he does it so yeah. you know maybe maybe the last week of the season he hits a wall but like I mean, he's he's their guy right now, and, and they have enough off days coming up. I mean, they're kind of in a tough stretch right now, but, but um, next Thursday they have an off day, and then three days later they have an off day, and then a week later they have an off day before the last uh, six games of the season. So there is some opportunities there for some, some rest to, to work in an extra day somewhere in there. Um, but, I mean, he's been so good and so consistent this entire season that, you know, as long as – the data and the numbers are coming back okay and, and indicate that he's still pitching um, the, the way he normally has, that then they're going to keep going with him. Yeah, I mean, you don't really want to sideline a Cy Young contender as you're pushing for a playoff spot, so I guess you just you roll with it and, and mm -hmm. let the let the numbers tell you what what you need to do. Yeah, uh, you know, talked about the pitching staff in the starting rotation uh, quite a bit, and it does seem like you know, you know with Justin Steele, they they do have some guys. I know Drew Smiley has been in the rotation for a good part of the season, and Kyle Hendricks just seems to be steady as she goes. Tyon's been up and down. They've got they're bringing some kids up and down, so we'll, we'll kind of see how things play out here over the last three weeks or so. But the Cubs' offense has been their strength overall this year. Mm -hmm. Sixth in runs scored coming into the game on Wednesday, fourteenth in home runs, and you talked about the resurgence of Cody Bellinger, just a, a brilliant free agent pickup this offseason. It'll be interesting to see whether the Cubs uh, try to re-sign him. But how would you compare the lineup overall to the Phillies lineup right now? Because the Phillies lineup, since the calendar flipped to August, has been red hot. And I think it, coming into the month, if you were to ask me what big advantage the Cubs have over the Phillies, it's that the Cubs lineup can do more damage than Philadelphia's. And I don't know that that, I don't know that that, advantage exists right now given how the Phillies are hitting so when you look at these two lineups and offenses how close are they I think they're close in different ways like when I think of the Phillies lineup I think of more star power you know obviously you have Harper you have Schwarber um Castellanos can do damage I know Real Muto's had it down here but like you know 
you always have to be careful with him. And when I think more of the Cubs, I think it's just, it's really deep, you know, like they traded for Jamer Candelario and he's been batting like seventh or eighth. I love him. He's a good player. Right. And so like, and, and I think one thing that uh, their manager, David Ross has done really well is he, he and, and the coaching staff and the front office have really identified what some of the role players do really well. And so um, a guy like Patrick wisdom, who's like led the team in homers for most of the year and is essentially like a part-time platoon player. They, they know how his swing matches up um, against certain pitch types and arm angles. And so they start him or pinch hit him in certain spots. Um, Nick Madrigal has been a really bright spot as a contact hitter um, who's been lofting the ball more and he's driving it more. Um, and, you know, so I, I think when I think of, the Cubs lineup, I just think one through nine, they give really competitive at bats. They grind down pitchers. Um, they have so many different guys that can beat you in different ways. Like they, they don't just rely on home runs um, to win. I mean, they've had quite a few games this year that I can recall off the top of my head. Um, so feel free to check, check that. <laughs> but they've, they, where they've put up double digit runs or they've scored four plus runs in an inning um, without hitting it out of the park. Um, That's so, tough to do. They, right. So they, they spray the ball around the field. They have some guys that hit for contact, you know, like I said, with Madrigal, Nico Horner. Um, so they just have a lot of different ways that they can beat an opposing pitcher. Yeah. They only have one regular with an, with a, with a slugging percentage over four sixty. Uh, no, mm-hmm. t- I'm sorry. They have a, a, I'm sorry, the three guys, but just three guys with a, with a slugging percentage over over 460, and that's uh, Bellinger, Seiya Suzuki, and and Christopher Morell. Um, yeah. So yeah, it does seem like they're they're doing a lot of their damage in in other ways. And I know you mentioned that Patrick Wisdom's been gotten a number of uh, plate appearances, and he's got a 498 slugging percentage. Jemmer Candelario's 482. So they have some guys, and it sounds like they they do mix and match quite a bit. Uh, real quick about the bullpen, um, how strong is this group? I mean, I know you, you've got Adbert Alzale who's uh, their closer he's got 22 saves on the season um but uh, not the big strikeout guy in, in that bullpen where where are the outs coming from late in games there yeah i mean it's it's definitely an interesting group that they're relying on and i think that is certainly in the postseason going to be the number one question mark is not only are the the back end guys already at innings and appearance numbers that they've never touched in their relief careers before but none of these guys have postseason experience. So the main guys that they've been relying on Julian Merriweather, who they claimed off waivers in the off season from Toronto familiar, uh, familiar name to Phillies fans. Mark Leiter jr. Has been their. Uh, How their is he only guy. 32 Megan? How can that I be? I know. Yeah. So he's been their setup guy slash, you know, if there's a huge pocket of lefties in a key spot, he's been the guy. And then Adbert Alzlai has been their closer, um, who is basically a converted reliever, once was their top pitching prospect. Um, and and he's been he hasn't been used the last few days because he's been dealing with some stuff. So it, it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how they navigate that. They also have Michael Fulmer, who's on the IL right now, but should be back sometime in the next week or so. Um, but outside of that, yeah, they don't really have a lot of proven guys. Drew Smiley's in the bullpen right now, but mm. Ideally, you're not using him in in high leverage spots late in the game. Um, So it's going to be really interesting. They have a couple young arms that seem to be gaining some trust, but otherwise they're really going to be relying on guys that have never done it really to this extreme and, and in such high leverage spots. Yeah, one of those young starters, Javier Assad, uh, making the start on Thursday in the first game of the series against the Diamondbacks. Two six nine ERA and eighty seven innings for him. He's uh, uh, gotten off to a real good start this year. A um, couple other quick things. So, the Cubs' schedule down the stretch. I mentioned they're going to play a four game series against the Diamondbacks here mm-hmm. at home. Um, and when you're playing in the National League Central, I know the Brewers are, are kind of a tough out. We thought this was going to be kind of a cake division, but you know the Reds are playing pretty well. Um, the Pirates and Cardinals aren't very good, but the top three teams in this division all seem to be kind of of a, a similar skill level i think if i'm rating them right now i'm probably going brewers cubs reds but there's not a there's not a wide gap in between all those three teams rate their chances on finishing ahead of the phillies in this wild card when all is said and done megan i mean i think it's going to be tough i don't uh i don't exactly know who the phillies are facing that much down the stretch but like for the cubs 
they played the the Diamondbacks uh, seven times in the next 10 games. <laughs> so you have a bunch against them, and then they're home against Pirates, Rockies, and then they end the year in Atlanta, and then a big one ending the season against the Brewers. Um, mm. so, so they so they have a, an opportunity still here to, again, create some distance in the wild card. And again, I mean, as long as they're obviously within – three games you know the division is still a possibility going into the final series of the season they have the 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 brewers and cubs are tied um on their season series five five so if whoever wins that series holds the tiebreaker at the end of the year too so i mean i think it's it's a really interesting mix i mean i think for the Mm -hmm. phillies they've been in this situation before obviously last year and the way they closed it out. Um, So I don't know. It's, it's a really tough path. I mean, I think for the Phillies, maybe it's obviously more nerve wracking because there's just one path into the postseason through the wild card. Yeah. Um, Whereas the Cubs have two potential avenues and could very well end up hosting um, a, a playoff. Yeah, and I think that's what they should be. Re- I mean, I'm sure that's what they're focusing on and thinking about is getting that National League Central title. Because yeah, you're you're hosting that third wild card at that point, which could be the Reds, it could be uh, the Diamondbacks or the Marlins. And I'm sure you'd you'd feel much better about hosting a three game series against one of those teams than uh, going into Philadelphia uh, and playing a three game series, or even hosting the Phillies uh, for a three game series at Wrigley Field. And I guess that's my last question: like, if these two teams do meet up in the wild card round, how much do you think home field would determine? who wins like if 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 the cubs do get home field and you got to play those games in wrigley like what is how much more advantageous is that for the cubs than having to go into philadelphia i mean it seems like a stupid question but (laughs) i guess i guess my question is like you know how important is getting that number one wild card spot if it does come down to the phillies and the cubs i think it's important for the cubs in the sense of they, they do have a lot of veterans on the team. Like they have guys that have won world series, Dansby Swanson, Cody Bellinger, Jan Gomes. Like they understand going into a tough environment in the postseason and like having to do well. Um, but, you know, especially on the pitching side, they're going to be relying on a lot of guys that have not experienced that moment. Um, and so I, and you know, Philly is obviously a very <laughs> tough environment. Um, I, I got to go to game three of the world series last year and like, oh, wow. that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's going to be eye opening for some of those guys. Um, and so I think obviously, yeah, if you're the Cubs, uh, maybe if you had some more veteran pitchers, you'd feel differently and you're like, we can win wherever, which I'm sure that's their mentality anyway. But I, obviously I, th- I think with the level of inexperience with some of these guys that obviously opening uh, you know at home and having a home series to begin the postseason would be huge for them well i gotta say megan it's uh it's a very scary team right now the chicago cubs to me um they make me a little bit nervous and um i think that i would much rather them go attack the brewers here (laughs) although the brewers make me nervous too and the brewers just took two or three from the phillies uh over the course of last weekend so uh every team that gets into the playoffs is going to be a tough out but uh watching the cubs right now it is a it's a fun team uh it's an interesting team it's a scary team uh and i'm glad you're getting the opportunity to cover them in your hometown uh after watching a couple years of some tough baseball there in Chicago. Um, if these two teams meet up again in the playoffs, we'll have to chat again and uh, and do a full preview breakdown on this. But folks, in the meantime, if you want to be following what the Cubs are doing, what they're up to, all the latest news and information, follow Megan on Twitter at M underscore Montemuro, and that's where she'll be posting everything, everything that she writes for the Chicago Tribune. Megan, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks so much for coming back on Hitting Season. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. And folks, let me just send you over to our Billy Penn landing page for the bod- uh, for the podcast. It's at billypenn.com slash hit and season. You can find all of our articles, all of our podcasts right there. Uh, any, and if we're going to be doing anything special uh, coming up, you can you can find out all that information right there as well. Uh, also, check out our Hit and Season Patreon. That's where we have some bonus podcasts for those of you who are generous enough to give us a couple bucks of your hard-earned money every month. That's where you can find the dirty inning, and that's where you can find continued success right now. It's at patreon.com slash hit and season. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hitting Season.